Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Thanks, you guys, for coming out. Like uh, Judith said, we're in this, con- this series, rather, called God Conversations. And uh, we're asking four fundamental questions. Every worldview, every philosophy has to answer these four questions. Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What's right? What's wrong? And, and where does everyone go when we die? These are the fundamental questions. And, and you can find a common ground in every one of these big mega questions and, and beginning a conversation with someone. And about half the weeks of the series, uh, over seven weeks, we've sought to practice this live and bring someone up who's kind of um, experienced a God conversation themselves. And so this morning is no different. We have Val up here, not to be mistaken, not to be mistaken with Val. Everyone say, hello, Val. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Wonderful greeting. You did good on that one, by the way. Participation prize early on this morning. Way to go. Vel has uh, been a member of Watermark for uh, a, a while now, and she's a volunteer leader. Uh, she has her hands in a couple different ministries. Uh, she also ha- is in real estate. And uh, last week, she came up to me in the lobby. We're just working the flourish. Way to go, flourish. Growth happens in groups. So you got to sign up for a group, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think you're clapping because I look great. Is that what we're doing? That's awesome. Wonderful. And uh, she just, you know, candidly, organically started telling me about how she's practicing this. I'm not trying to show off. She's not this super evangelist. She just said, Ben, like, this stuff works. And I said, Val, you got to come and, and share some of your learnings and some of your experience. And she was kind enough to, to accept that invitation. And uh, she was telling me over the phone about how she started this kind of personal learning uh, journey within her, her craft of real estate. And she jumped in on this, this women's leaders network meeting. And, and you, you went to this first meeting, Val, and that's the first story I wanted you to tell is kind of that introduction and how it led to a conversation. Okay, so... It's hard for me not to ramble on, but I'll try to be real quick. Um, So I'm in this women's network meeting, and we have to go around and introduce ourselves. And, of course, part of who I am, besides loving to help people buy and sell real estate, is a passion for uh, mentoring women and for uh, praying for people, praying for women. So I I introduce myself as that is part of my, my passion and who I am as a woman. That's how it started. Yeah. Um, so in doing that, I feel that it was important for me to start meeting with these women one-on-one so that I can get to know you to me, for me. Um, and it's good to know them. <laughs> That's what you told me that. that was smart. I have to know them if I'm going to refer them, right? <laughs> right? And I want them to know me as well. Right. So you so took this one gal to lunch. So I took me, this one gal to lunch, and this is where it really w- was eye-opening to me is that... Um, started asking her about her life, and she started just opening up to me. Of course, she knows at this time that I am a woman of faith and that I pray. And uh, she starts opening up to me about events that have happened in her life, her mother dying. She's gone through a divorce. She's a single mother with a 10-year-old daughter. Um, She's gone through some really crazy roller coaster things in her life. And I had no idea, but she is in need of a savior really bad. I mean, she was in tears. She was thanking me. She said I was an answer to her prayers. And I just said, I I just was in, we had a two hour lunch 
And uh, this is where it all began. Yeah, I love, you know, it's probably, it might have been easy to miss. I love what you said there, Val, that you started with questions. <laughs> you started with questions. Sure. You want to find out about a person before we mm-hmm. lob truth bombs at them or, or you know, worldviews or philosophies. You, you started with questions, personal questions. And right. that's, that's a great Life kind of, questions. Yeah, 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 just everyday life stuff, uh-huh. which is, uh, was instructive for me just to listen. And then you told me about another gal from the, the corporate office that she works in the front desk. You, start, you strike up a conversation with her. Tell us how that went. Right. So I was in my office, and I was basically just on my way out validating my parking ticket. And I realized I've never really, I don't really know this lady, but she's very efficient and very nice. And uh, so I started asking her questions about her weekend, what was happening. And she started opening up to me about the fact that she was a cancer survivor uh, that her mother is now going through cancer and she's dear. Um, she's never been married, doesn't have any children, and how she, but she knows God has her back. And I said, that's awesome. I love that. He does have your back. And she said, but you know, I just wish he would talk to me and tell me what I need to hear. So I said, so you want to discern God's voice? And she said, yeah, I want to hear him. I said, well, do you read the Bible? And she said, no, I actually, I was raised Catholic, and I don't go to church, and, and no, I don't have, a, I don't think I have a Bible. So I said, would you be okay if I gave you a Bible, if I got you a really cool Bible that you could relate to? And yeah. she was, tears came to her eyes, and she is overjoyed about it, and I have a meeting with her next week. I have two meetings with two women to give Bibles next week. I love it. You see, yeah. the, the thing, yeah, first God. The thing I love about that is I think so often if we're some reference point to the church or we were raised inside the church and we know how many copies of the Bible we have on the multiple dressers in our home. And so it's almost lost on us that, that, that a Bible could actually be a gift for someone and, and, a, and a profound one that's tied to actually hearing the voice of God. And not only that, you have uh, this woman who, um, uh, you know, she, she has these questions and the conversation was a great springboard for, for doing all of that. So I, I love that the Bible was an opportunity for her. I love that you offered the gift. Uh, and you found common ground through, through the dialogue. Absolutely. The other thing, Val, you were so clear over the phone about was just how um, you prepared. You've done, some time, you've done something to prepare for, for these encounters. Yes. Tell us what that is. Okay, so every morning I surrender my life to the Lord. Every morning and night. And part of my prayer probably the last four or five months has been... Uh, to live through me, to, that, I, that I can be a reflection of God's love and his light and that I can encourage other people and that I can actually speak life into people. I have no idea how, when, where, who, uh, but he's showing me that I don't need to be aware of that. I don't need to be concerned with that because he, it's all him and I am just in awe and bubbling over with joy after these conversations because I say words like, God is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And, I, and I'm like, why did I just say that? Wow, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, it's yep. in my DNA now, and, right. and, I, and I seek him, and he's just pouring it out through me. Yeah, so prayer, prayer before, during, prayer. after is the, is the preparation. yes. And, and guys, we're going to yeah, pray for Val in a must. second, but what I want you to hear, what you said in that last thing is so critical, is that the, the prayer, God will give you the words to speak in that moment. And I think a lot of us, we think, oh, no, that's just reserved. Someone to go talk to for the super special or the super trained or, or just the, mm-hmm. the percentage of evangelists amongst us. And oh, by the way, they might shoot me down and it may not work out. And, and just like Val said, we, we don't even need to worry 
about the outcomes. Mm -hmm. God's in control. It's organic. It right. just becomes organic right. and it's, authentic. And so, well, I'm so appreciative that you came to share your oh, experience with us. And um, I hope that all of us, we can have a takeaway of learning that it, that, that type of thing can happen with every single one of us. So let's Absolutely. pray. Would you pray with me? We'll pray for Val. Lord, thank you so much for uh, just these opportunities, these doors you're opening for Val. I'm thankful, Lord, her, her testimony, her story inspires me to get my prayer life in order. Lord, to come before you and request these opportunities and to ask that you would give me the strength and the words to speak when someone talks about really tough stuff, even the, even the verses to pull from, Lord, somehow, some way, that you would, you would do that in me and do that in every single one of us in the room. Thank you for the continued meetings that Bell's going to have, uh, continue to speak through her and change lives, God, invite people to a relationship with you. We know you're going to do that. Go ahead of us in the rest of this service time, speak uh, clearly uh, through this, this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Val. Give it up for Val, guys. So, like I said, we've been in the series God Conversations, and today is the last day. Judith accurately nailed it there. We're going to start a new series next week called Flourish, and uh, that's going to be just epic. Uh, ten sessions on what does it mean to flourish, and what does Watermark believe lends to flourishing. And yet today we're in destiny. That's the final question, the final of four questions. Bucky did a wonderful job last weekend. You've got to go listen. Uh, talked about the inescapable nature of death, quite frankly. And yet there are very clear answers from, from the world's perspective and, and, the, and, the, and the perspective of science. And there's one that the Christian faith holds. And so this is part two in destiny today. And I have, I have uh, one big idea for us, and that's heaven. That's what destiny is. Uh, the Christian worldview is a belief in heaven now and not yet. A little piece of heaven now and not yet. This is the Christian view of destiny. That we're not just saved to get to heaven. We don't just have this ticket to ride and that's awesome. We're saved to bring a piece of heaven here and now. And yet in this battle for living that way, living like heaven, there's a piece of it here to be had and to be held here and now. We mistake uh, the shiny things of this world. There's a lot of distractions that we think are heavenly when they're really not. And yet heaven is supposed to be received. It's a gift to be freely received, not to be earned, not to be achieved. It's a, it's a gift freely given. We're talking about heaven now and not yet, the hope of what we look forward to. And, you know, as I was thinking about this message, um, I, I was thinking about this cemetery that I live by. I, I'm sorry. I, just, I think everyone should live near a cemetery. It, it might sound kind of morbid, but I think you get it. it. It's like this wonderful reminder, actually, every single time. I get to drive by it, you know, most days, twice, you know, in the morning. And then when I come back at the end of the day, and, and especially as it, that kind of straddles my work. Reminder, how did I, how did I use my day? How did I, what did I do with my investments of my time and my talent and my treasure? And, and God's looking down, and he's kind of wondering, how, how am I going to use that day? And then one day, at the end of my time, there may be a, a couple of people that come around to memorialize that life. And so it's a great reminder. I actually drove by it this, this last Friday. It's right by the school. I live by T. Winkle School. If you're familiar with it, that's the cemetery I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I figured out for myself that I probably won't do the whole uh, gravestone and casket and the whole thing. You can just, just torch it, torch the body, and then put the ashes over the ocean, okay? That's going to be the way for me. But why? Why do I think that way? Again, that might seem kind of crazy. We're, we're, we're facing, we're squaring up with the idea of death, guys. So we're going to jump right into it by talking about caskets and about burial. But why? Why do I think that way? Where did I get that? Well, it comes from Scripture, I think. This is from Revelation chapter 21. 
It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pains are gone forever. A picture of heaven. The last book of the Bible, the Bible's 66 books, the last book written by John as he's receiving this vision, the Apostle John receiving this vision from God and these pictures, this amazing picture of heaven. He says right before this, this verse that the old earth is gone, there's a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, that all things will be made new. All things will be made new. And there's real hope for full restoration in the life after this. So back to the cemetery, you know, picture. And, I, and I'm thinking about that, and that's, and that's impacting my decision about what I want to do at that last moment and how much money I want my people to spend on, you know, all those processes. And, and I went back through, and I, and I took a couple pictures. So hopefully this is not going to be just such a crazy sacrilege. Just hang with me if you can, okay? But there's a couple tombstones I think are telling about the beliefs that we hold, that, that maybe we all hold. And, you know, talked about when you die, there's, there's, there's common worldviews around this. There's a huge chunk of people that believe when you die, you become fertilizer. That's it. You're just, you, you just dust, okay? There's another huge swath of people, you know, mainly in Eastern religions, that believe that when you die, you enter this this huge ocean of souls, just a drop in the bucket of this, this universe of souls. And yet, I think really what people, their view, this, this is maybe people that are in the church, actually, or people that have been a part of church and walked away, and they believe they're, they're the so-called unaffiliated or the nuns. They don't believe in anything. I think, by and large, people believe that just be a good person, and you go to heaven. Just be a good person, and you go to heaven. And you see, there's this, this picture here, um, there were two kind of versions. You can't read all of it, but on your left, it says this guy, he's a doctor. He was a grandfather, and, and, and he encouraged all to, he, probably Jewish. There's a you know, star of David there. And, and he says that it encur- he encouraged everyone to be good. I'm not making it, I'm sure it was an honest token. You know, someone comes in the office, you be good now, sweetheart, or be good, son, or you just, you be good. And then there's the one on the right. It says, I trust in you. Let God be magnified. Let God be magnified. And I just thought this is such a clear mark of the Christian worldview, the Christian faith, which says the whole point of my life as an image bearer, remember, go back seven weeks, we said you're made in the image of God, Genesis 1. You're made in the image of God. And then that points to meaning, the second question that we answer. What's your meaning? Your meaning is to reflect that image to the world, to put God on display, even in a small percentage of all that God is and the way that we look and act and carry ourselves, we reflect him. Is let God be magnified. That, that's the Christian worldview there on a headstone. And you see, therein lies the difference between maybe the, the whole, it made me think, I'm not making a judgment on him, but it made me think about the commonly held worldview out there. And you can just earn your way in. Pretty much all good people get to heaven. And, and, and yet I, I look to the text, you guys, I look at, at, the, at the scripture and I see a different narrative. You see, there's a guy who had this God conversation with Jesus, and he asked a very similar question. It takes place in uh, Luke. This is what it says, verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. 21. The man replied, I've done all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, right. I've done all that. 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. He just goes right at the heart. Of course, Jesus can see right through him. 
There's one thing you still lack. Sell all your stuff and give the money away in heaven. And come follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was extremely wealthy. Some call this guy the wealthy ruler or, or, or the, the rich man or, or the rich young ruler. You know what I want to call him? I'm just going to call him the good guy. He's the good guy. All right? Because everything for this gentleman, he's probably a civic leader. He's, a, he's just a good first century Jew. Everything for him. I'm good because I obey the rules. Jesus, you're good, which is even just false flattery. You must be good. He's just fawning like this false sense of flattery over Jesus. And the way to heaven must be earned i.e. doing good things, being good. That's the whole drive and thrust of his question. So this man steps up, and he's got a really good destiny question. What do I got to do to give into heaven? And the question of now and not yet, I'm curious about the not yet. How do I get the ticket to ride? How do I outlive this life? How do I assure my life after Jesus' deal? See, at first look, you may think that Jesus is checking him against all the other law. Did you do all the commandments? Did you do the Ten Commandments? Actually, it's funny because Jesus is just showing him a mirror of his life. That's what the law was meant to do. Ravi Zacharias, the same author of these four questions, where do we come from, what's the meaning, what's right and wrong, where do we go? He says that the law was meant as a mirror. It just reflects. It has the power to reflect, but it has not the power to change you and transform your life. That can only be done with the free gift of the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross. And so Jesus hits him. He's just showing the guy a mirror, and he fails to answer. What does he say? He says, I've done all that. I'm a good guy. So he holds up the mirror, but then he goes on. What he says next is just priceless. Jesus' answer is so simple. He says that, first of all, eternal life must be received. You may remember the picture in Mark 10 where all the people, I love it. It's one of my children's, my kid's book has this great picture of all the people. It backs up. All the moms and dads and caretakers for their kids, and they're having a conversation in the streets of first century Palestine, and they're in the dirt, and they have these huts for homes, and the parents start talking amongst themselves. Do you think that Jesus would, do you think Jesus would pray for our kids? Do you think he would? You think he'd take time and, and pray for our kids and talk to them? And the person next to that parent says, yeah, I think he would. And then there's the next picture on the big children's book, and they're all running down the streets, and they're holding the hands of the kids, and they're going to see him. And then what's the first interaction they have with the disciples? And in this graphic of the kids' book, there's all the disciples, all 12 of them, and they're just like this, hands out, right? He doesn't have the time. He's too important. And by the way, in this time period in the first century, no one's got time for that. You don't have time. No way. They don't have any worth or value yet. They can't contribute they have no worth or value. And Jesus says, bring them, bring them in. And then he goes on to say, Mark 10, you can look it up. He says that the kingdom will be received, kingdom of heaven, here and not yet, must be received like a child who can do nothing for themselves. They can do nothing on their own power. I have a, a, a child who's, you know, seven months old. She relies on her mom as her lifeblood, her whole sustenance, everything she looks to for survival is to her mom. And that's the picture Jesus is talking about with, with, with God, his Father in heaven. It must be received, not earned. It's there. Be there with open hands and receive it. The of the heart, the status and orientation of the heart. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, by the way, buddy, you got some massive strings attached to your heart. They're getting in the way of following me. That's all. It's not just about wealth. It's not just about money. It's not just about stuff. Those things are not, and it, it, it's like Dave Ramsey says, money's like a brick, okay? It's, got no, it's not got no more moral value to it, no right or wrong in a brick. It can be used to build a home or a school for, you know, the poor, or it can be used to chuck through a window. It's, it's got no moral value. It's the same thing in the Bible. What Jesus wants to get at is what is his stuff attached to, and that would be his heart. So you want to talk about destiny. You want to talk about heaven here 
and in the life to come. And we've got to talk about this nasty little, insidious little thing called idolatry. Idolatry, fun word, isn't it? It's packed with joy here on a Sunday morning at church. Let's talk about our idols, shall we? Wonderful. What a joy. It's an old-fashioned word for the things that take the place of God in our lives. Very plain and simple. The idols are the things that take the place of God in our lives. Like what Tim Keller says, he says, you make a good thing a God thing. You should make a good thing a God thing. You take it from its rightful place and you put it in its wrong ordering. You see, let's go back to this conversation with Jesus and, and the rich young ruler. You see, often we think of sin, which is, that's sin, by the way, this idolatry, these idols is a sin thing. Often we think of sin, oh, it's just the, the thou shall nots and, and the do's and don'ts. But, but Jesus, God, gives us a much fuller picture, actually, of what falling short of the mark looks like. Actually, he even rank ordered them. Notice, in the previous passage, he, gives, he goes through the, 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 some of the commandments, but he, he leaves one off. Which one does he leave off that's number one? Go ahead, tell me, what's the first commandment? Go ahead. There we go. No other gods. Thank you. No other gods. He rank ordered it maybe because he knew that was going to be. We've moved away from, you know, a couple of thousand years ago of crafting things out of metal and then bowing down to these metal objects of gold and, and, and precious metals. Sure, we've moved away from that, but has anything really changed in the heart of man since day one? Jesus, God, they knew that and they were going after the heart. No other gods. Yeah, there's this little announcement early last week uh, by America's first trillion-dollar company. Did anyone watch it, this live announcement? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? What was it? Thank you, Apple. Awesome. So there's three things I want to talk about, okay? It's so cool. It's a good thing, right? I love this device. Unreal. It makes my life more efficient and easy and brings me joy and wonderful distraction. Awesome. They got this new phone. It's crazy. Just three things of a million. They got three things. The first thing is they got the new watch, the new iteration of the watch that came out. Some of you may have seen this. It has an ECG monitor on it. It regulates the rhythms of your heart. In 30 seconds, you can figure out if you've got your electrodes in your heart off or on or not. Crazy. That's all just on your wrist. You put your finger on the side of the button that's that big, and it's going to tell you how your heart's performing. They got a thing in the phone. It's a chip the size of my thumb. They can store over 200,000 photographs. 200,000. I didn't get that wrong. It's not 2,000. 200,000. It's the size of my thumb, my thumbnail. It's got machine learning, a.k.a. artificial intelligence. They've had this. This is nothing new. It's been on there for a while. But they got this thing that can look at your face to unlock the phone, right? You understand that? That's a technology that looks at the 50 different And you can create a, you know, a cartoon picture out of your face through this technology. It's wonderful, right? And, and I love it. I, I couldn't watch the whole thing. But this guy comes on, he's actually a game app developer, and this is the pinnacle of the entire show, right? He comes up, and he, he, he's a game app developer, and, he, and this is a direct quote. He says, we're moving from amusement to transcendence. We're moving from amusement to transcendence. The guy designed a first-person video game, and it's not just amusing anymore. It's not just fun. No, this is a heavenly thing, man. This is trans. It goes, takes you from this world, takes you to another place. This morning, you guys, is who needs to think about heaven? I mean, really. When you have health and success and fun. Again, Bucky did this great job last weekend talking about how the nature of death is inescapable. But, but my take is like, most of us live like there's no such thing. Some of us in this room, definitely those outside the church, you guys, we're living like there's no such thing. Well, it may be true until it's not, right? 
until it's not true anymore. What about when you get the news that you, you're going to have a hard time having kids? You got this, this guy I grew up with. We were in the same small group together for six years. And uh, we came back into each other's lives uh, you know, about a year ago. And uh, they met with these doctors. And, and, and they said right out the gates, you probably got about 7% chance of getting pregnant. And so the first line of defense is, here, take all these drugs, and they'll make you feel awful all day long. And then, and then the next thing was, here, take this, this costly version of this fertilization treatment, and, and that's going to fail not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. And ultimately, you sit down with a doctor, and they tell you, at this rate, you've got to move to IVF. You have to go to the, the, big, the big bang in terms of this type of treatment. And, and even though we know you don't have the money to do that, and what about one of my other close, dear friends who, who has a son who's been struggling with addiction? And after years of raising him right, and giving him every opportunity to succeed, he still gets mixed up in, in a wrong crowd, in a bad crowd, full synthetic drugs ever created. Even ends up in jail because of it all. Or what about that piece of business that drops out, or that relationship that just goes to shambles, or that health crisis, that health crisis comes along out of the blue, because at least for those facing those realities, and that maybe some of you in this room this morning, you'll be thinking about heaven then. You'll be thinking about heaven because you're walking through hell. What feels like a small piece of hell. What feels like a small piece of death. A small death, even on this side of eternity. Then what do you do? Well, our hope then, when those moments hit, or when those questions are asked of us across the table, like Bell got to experience, and some of you are experiencing, I'm sure, the only thing can be the resurrection. It's the only answer, and that's the answer we have. We have the corner market on the answer of destiny, of heaven here and heaven not yet, the resurrection. This gives us the hope of heaven here and now and in the life yet. The hope of the future, what happens when we die, is ultimately a question of what kind of citizen are you? What kind of citizen are you? Some of you may think, that's kind of a leap, Ben. Where are you going to go with that? Well, I'll show you. This is Paul. We, look, we looked at the words of Jesus. Let's look at Paul and see if he affirms anything that Jesus is talking about in Luke 18. Here we go. Verse 19 in Philippians 3. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Rough start, I know. Verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He'll take our weak, mortal bodies, the broken and dysfunctioning bodies, and change them into glorious bodies like his own. It won't just be a soulless bucket where, where soul and spirit and physical body are enemies of each other. New bodies, the Bible says, using the same power with which he, he will bring everything under his control. Using the same power, dead, resurrection power. Paul is talking to an audience. Who, who's, first of all, who's they, them? Well, they had a, there's a term for them. They're, they're called the Judaizers, and these are the, the, the religious elite. They may even have been new Christians. They may have been starting to buy into this Jesus way, but they were still hung on to the law. They were still hung on to performance and achievement, and the law will save you. They had an idol like any other. Understand this, Christians living in today's society, that they had an idol of religion. And sometimes we still fall prey to that today. That was their idol. Paul is making no discrimination. An idol is an idol is an idol. It can be a good thing. The law can reflect where we're backwards, have the power to transform you. And they were using it that way, like it did. That's his audience. His answer is the same as Jesus. Exchange your false hopes for the one true hope. Jesus' answer to destiny, to hope, when death strikes, is to place your trust in him and not the things of this world, the shiny stuff. And to live... 
And to live, catch it, this is the bridge we're going to make. Because it's easy to talk about the, the life to come and it's going to be pearly gates and, and, and roads paved with gold. But here's the next part. To live like we have the hope of heaven, but to live like there are clues here and now. You see, the simple truth about the Christian view of hope and destiny is that Jesus and Paul, agreeing with him, called on folks to exchange their items of trust for the only items that really work, Jesus' death and his resurrection. We have hope that we may experience a fraction of restoration. That's the peace of heaven now. That if we buy in, that we expect and magnify God because we're image bearers, Genesis 1 that we have this amazing opportunity in that same chapter, Genesis 1, it says that we should go, uh, you know, be fruitful and multiply and take care of the earth. That's God's mandate to Adam and to Eve. The word there is co-regents. It means you co-rule with me. That Jesus, that God, through his son Jesus, sent him on this rescue operation and we get to join in the operation with him. Crazy as that may seem. That he could use mere mortals, me and you. But we get to be participants and bring in a fraction of heaven on earth that might point and glorify and magnify the heaven yet to come. And yet, you guys, there's an obstacle. We talked about the obstacle of those idols, the good things that we made into God things. There's another obstacle that we face. And I'm telling you, it's, it's insidious. It has been pushed for one or 200 years in the Christian church, not outside. I'm not talking to outsiders right now. I'm talking about the gospel as espoused by the insiders, our own crew. That The gospel, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is saved to get to heaven. That my personal salvation is all that matters. That is an anti-biblical view of destiny, of hope for the future. It's saved. Yes, we are assured of our salvation. I'm going to get to that later. But we're saved to bring a piece of heaven to earth, to be those co-regents, to be those participants in what God's doing in redeeming and restoring, even if it be just a fraction. So you might say, Ben, this challenge of bringing heaven to earth, what can you really mean? I think it's a good and worthy question. I think, we're, I think we're called to do that through our conversations, you guys. See, the objective of this series is that even one of us, okay, not one of us, all of us, would branch out and we'd begin a conversation with someone over common ground, that we would create common ground. And you know what? I don't think God leaves us stranded in that endeavor. He provides common ground all over the place. You saw the wonderful examples from Vel, but look at, this is one of my favorite dependable passages. Such a concrete truth that will serve you in lots of areas. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. They look at, the, they look at nature and it just magnifies his glory. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. And so you guys, I don't think God leaves us stranded. One of my biggest takeaways, I've sat, I've sat here where you're sitting. I sat last Sunday and listened to Bucky's message. And I'm thinking to myself, this is so cool. Because of these four questions that we've talked about, where do we come from? How do we find meaning and purpose? What's right and wrong? And where do we go? There's a common denominator for every single one of them. That's like God didn't leave us stranded. He baked the answers in. You guys, get this about the people you're going to have a conversation with. They may have a tough exterior. They may seem like the most brilliant person way out of your league ever. I believe with all that I am that even those people in the world, if it's not the answer of the hope and resurrection of Jesus and the creator God, they're suppressing what God put in there as the answer. They're actually living in a form of denial. Even with all their smarts and all their strength and all their performing, they're pressing it down deep. And yet if you believe what Genesis says, that we're all, not just those saved, not just those with a practicing relationship with Jesus, but all of us are marked by the image of God, he baked it in. 
Even the most staunch atheist, even the most staunch unaffiliated, wakes up in the morning and sees the glory of a sun that is close enough and yet far enough away to not torch their bottoms. And they get a little piece of the fact that there is a creator God here. Please let this be an encouragement as we enter into these conversations. I believe that with the core of who I am is that it's actually there. It's just been so suppressed and so demented and so distracted. I'll give you an example, a quick one of each one of the four questions. Think about origins. Vel, a second ago, talked about this one off the, the, the wheels of a, of a recent divorce. She is not believing what God says about her in this moment. She is not believing that she has dignity and value and worth. She's thinking to herself, I'm a failure, and I made a commitment, and it failed. Every single one of us, not just this gal who's maybe an outside of the church person, every single one of us has at least at some season believed a lie about our identity and our dignity and our worth as spoken about in Genesis 1. We have created a false origins story, a broken origins story. We've lived it either today or a time in the past that has meet someone where they are broken by using your own broken origin story and then see how God can restore that. You don't just live there and stay there. See how God might restore that. Origins, the question of origins. Now, how about the question of meaning? If we are made in the image of God, we have dignity and worth. You know what's a great conversation starter? Human rights. Okay, people in my generation, they love to talk about human rights. Human rights watch, we're going to end human trafficking. We've got huge multinational you know, global organizations that are in effect to, to protect and preserve human rights. We're signed on for these different charters and these different commitment statements. Guess what? you got no human rights without God. you got no basis for real human worth and dignity without God. It is the only unique position in philosophy for creation that truly can be defended under human rights. And people will love to talk to you about whether, whether people are good or not and whether they're just worth going to heaven because they're just good at that. This question of right and wrong, good and bad, that bridges the next question about uh, morality. You know what I'm going to say is a common ground for that? I'm just going to repeat what I said a couple weeks ago. You've got to use the tool of introspection. Before we make a judgment claim or an assertion about someone else's life, we have to look deep in our hearts and say, you know what, that is a part of my life that's backwards too and broken and wrong. And I've made a good thing a God thing. And I, I, I'll meet you there and show you how I'm not perfect. If you introduce yourself, just like Vel did when she went to that first networking meeting, she introduced herself as a, as a believer, right? Or Gary, a couple weeks ago, he introduced himself in this forum for LGBT conversations. He introduced himself a number of assumptions will come into someone's head, but you know what one of them is going to be? They're going to think that, oh, they're Christian, therefore there's nothing wrong with them, or they think there's nothing wrong with them. Sorry, you did nothing to earn that strike, but that's the strike against you already. So if you get the opportunity to sit across the table and have lunch or have coffee with a person, use the common ground of introspection. And that it's not, that you may be getting better, that you may be growing in this area, but it's not by your own power. It's the free received gift of grace that's doing that. Origins, use your broken origin story. Human rights, talk about human rights, talk about meaning, and talk about introspection and meeting someone where they're at. And of course, hope, which is what we're talking about this morning. You know how you can share hope in this conversation? The first thing you gotta remember is that we're all placed with hope and trust built in. Bucky said last weekend that we have an eternity written on our hearts. It is impossible to get around. It may be suppressed, but it is impossible to get around. But we place that hope in things besides the cross, and that's where it goes sideways. Remember, most people believe that every good person gets in. Every good person must go to heaven. The problem is most good people have their hope in something else. 
Back to what I said a second ago. And that something else won't save them. It won't bring real fulfillment. And it won't bring a significant piece of heaven here or in the life to come. You see, why is it so important that we get to the heart of the matter of destiny and the hope of heaven? Why is it so important that we engage people in these God conversations? Because as citizens of heaven, we get to be extenders of grace. As co-regents, as co-participants, we get to be extenders of grace. We get to be a part of righting the wrongs here and now. We get to shine a light and hope and healing in the dark places, in the broken and backwards and sideways places. I'm going to invite the band up as we close, and I want to give you an update on a couple of these stories that I shared. When you engage in a conversation, when you believe something about yourself and our mandate as believers to to be co-participants with God and his work and his operation, his rescue operation, the most daring thing he could have done to send his son to do that work, the opportunity, the choice to receive it or not, things start to happen. So when my friend, my friend from high school, sitting there sharing about how their hopes of childbearing are all but lost, I can sit there and I can pray for them. And I can pray with them. In December, they had their last failed round of fertilization treatment. And after 12 weeks of bed rest and multiple scares, this is a picture from Monday. Yeah. (laughs) Twin baby girls. We prayed for them 10 months. Nine months later, they have this baby. These babies, Andy and Riley. That's our God. That's how he operates. A piece of heaven here and now. So what happens when when my dear friend whose son is struggling, or or you have a family member, or one of your family members is, or a friend who has struggled with addiction and recovery, or just being, and you tell them about the hope of the restoration where all illnesses will be made right. And then my friend's son now has 60 days sobriety, the longest time he's ever been without substance. And he's leading a Bible study at his recovery meetings. And people are looking into him to be a spiritual leader. And he's texting his mom and he says, Mom, I've been set free. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Ah, peace of heaven, Ben, I don't know. I don't know if God can use me in that way, if God could work in and through me in that way to touch other lives. I'm telling you that that operation of grace, we get to join in and be these extenders of grace. See, the hope of Christianity is not in being good. The hope of Christianity is definitely not putting our trust in fading or failing things. If you're sitting there this morning, maybe the idol for you is anger. You're still frustrated and her believer did to you. Maybe for you, the idol is the stuff, the shiny things. Maybe the idol is just all the questions, and I'm never, always going to be a skeptic because there's never going to be a perfect answer. You're right. There's no physical way to prove God. You're right. But wherever those idols are, you guys, I want you to hear the hope of heaven now and tomorrow is not in being good. It's in receiving a gift like a child. And it's so clearly spelled out right here. If you look at Romans 10, this is the answer. If you're sitting in a room and you're not sure about your security of the hope of heaven yet to come, this is what it says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says you have right standing from the moment you profess with your lips that Jesus is the only way. You have right standing there and then by no effort, by nothing you've achieved, by no successes in performing. You're declared right, right there. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it is by openly declaring with your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. We put our trust in the saving work of Jesus, you guys. The world will take note. Like the world took note of those who were in American slavery in the 1500s to the 1800s and they sang these songs of hope. They were being beaten and destroyed and raped and just torn apart. And they sung these songs about a future hope and people said, you're deluding yourselves. You can't mean the words of those songs. You guys, they don't make it through that saga, that horror without an actual hope. And the world sees their survival because of the power of a creator God. That's the hope of what we have. That's a common ground conversation you could talk about. Look at history and see how hope has played its way out through people like you and me. People will see the hope that you have and a little sliver, even a fraction now that will point to the peace and the fullness of heaven. And you'll know the truth of this statement. They may come to know the truth of this statement. But C.S. Lewis said that all adventures, all the adventures we have ever had will end up being only the cover and the title page and heaven will be in chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You are representatives of that. You are extenders of that grace. And if that is still a question for you, I invite you in this time, there are communion tables set up. I invite you to ask with all that you are, God's looking at your heart right now. That's all he cares about, not about the stuff. Where have you placed your trust? Where is your trust right now? What is the good thing or the angry thing or the the distraction thing that you've made a God thing? And bring that right now. And when the band's done playing, there's going to be people that would love to pray with you a prayer that represents what we just read from Romans 10. For now, let's pray and you can come to communion when you're ready. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you, Father. Thank you for your gift of grace, your glorious gift, Father. By nothing that I have done, by nothing that we have done or achieved, you sent your Son. God, I am so thankful for resurrection power here and now as a foretaste of what's to come, even a fraction, but it points to you, Lord God, all hope, all glory, all magnificent things that have been raised up from from broken or limping or dead places, points to you, Jesus. That's your power. You did that. So I give you praise, Lord. I just thank you for every heart in here that's being captivated by your word. Let your word speak into our lives as we go forth from this place that you could be magnified, that we would remember we are reflectors of your grace. The image in us magnifies you to the world, God. The image of you is thank you. pray this in your son's name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.